Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. Okay, well, here's a pop quiz for those of you that have been with us the last two weeks. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Don't worry about, I heard it, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about, okay, then you tell God what you need, and then you thank him for what he's done. And so here's the question, what's the best way to thank him? I heard it. Be like him. The best way to thank him is to be like him. The best way to thank him is that way, to be like him. And then here's the promise. Go ahead and put it up there, Chris. The promise when you worry about nothing, when you pray about everything, when you let God know what it is that you, that you need and you thank him for what is done, the more you're going to look like Jesus, the more you'll walk like Jesus. And the promise is then you will experience that one thing that everybody wants, but so few people have this side of heaven. You'll experience in your life, in your heart, in your home, the peace of God. The peace that the world doesn't understand when you do these things. We're in a series called Not That, But This. And it's a series based on Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the Beatitudes, the teaching of Jesus there. And it's the idea that, that one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching was to draw a distinction between man's ways and God's ways. We're looking at Jesus' most famous sermon, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins with eight statements, eight statements that we call the Beatitudes. And I can't think of a better passage to help us, to help you and me, to be more like Jesus in this crazy world. So we're covering one a week for eight weeks. Uh, we may take a week in between there. There's a special thing that I may be doing in a couple weeks, not sure yet. But um, about eight, nine weeks will take us to get through these. We've already covered two, and we're going to cover the third beatitude today. But let, let's read the beatitudes together. Hopefully you can, you can read that up there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this is Jesus speaking. And he's saying, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, it's important to note the placement of this beatitude. It's sandwiched between blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn their sin. Blessed are those who mourn the, roots, the root source of, of every hurt, every problem, every issue in the world and our lives today. 
Blessed are those who mourn their personal sin, who have a, who have a right view of themselves, who understand that, that we're all fallen, we're all broken, we're all hopeless, we're all sinful, we're all hurting, and we all need God. We all need his help. Therefore, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in between these two beatitudes, we find blessed are the meek. Now, what does righteous mean? Well, righteous means to be made right. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand, to look around and understand there's a lot of things in the world that aren't right. There's a lot of things that aren't right with me, and there's a lot of things that aren't right with you. Okay, let's be honest. And so blessed are the meek. And between those who mourn the sin of their own life, and they mourn the sin of the world, the hurt of the world, and the helplessness that surrounds us, and those who hunger and thirst for all things to be made right, to be made whole and healed and, per and perfect, we have this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is between the promise and the fulfillment. We're living in the realization of what's already happened, that we are forgiven of our sin, we've been cleansed and set free, and yet, though we have been saved, we all still sin sometimes. We all still suffer sometimes. And though we've been forgiven and saved, we've been guaranteed heaven. Does anybody notice that this ain't heaven yet? You know, this ain't heaven yet? Well, Jesus speaks and he says, Blessed are the meek here and now, for they will inherit, not heaven, but they will inherit the earth. Now, the word meek that's used uh, here in, in the Greek, it, it's the word praos. I've got it in your life notes there in that, that sheet that I mentioned before. And it means to have a right view of yourself. It also means power under control. It's got two meanings there in the Bible. And if I have a right view of myself, I recognize that I am a deeply flawed person. I often fall short, and I need Jesus. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect Nobody's perfect. Turn to your neighbor and tell him. Say, nobody's perfect. I miss the mark. You miss the mark. Okay, you don't need to keep telling them they're not perfect, okay? <laughs> I miss the mark. You miss the mark. We all need God, and that's a right view of ourselves. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me, and neither of us are better than everybody else. It's also a word that means power under control. It's not weakness. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the weak. He said, blessed are the meek. It's not being a pushover. It's not being a, a doormat. It's, it's not being a flimsy man or a coward. It's a strong man. It's a, it's a strong person. And a matter of fact, there's, there's only two individuals in the Bible that are referred to as meek, and that is Jesus and Moses, neither of which were weak men, neither of which were, were pushovers. You know, Moses confronted the Pharaoh of his day, and he puts his life on the line, and then he delivers millions of people out of captivity in Egypt and leads them through the desert for 40 long, whiny years. And, you know, he's gifted. He's an incredible leader. And Jesus is strong. Jesus is the, is the world's greatest, most confident, most complete leader. So we're not called to the, to the company of weak men. We're called to the company of some of the greatest leaders this world has ever seen. Jesus, the greatest of all. And he says, blessed are the meek, not the weak. Now, the other meaning, powerful or, or strong, it's, it's a word used by sailors to describe a, a gentle breeze. And you're thinking, but that doesn't sound strong. You know, what's strong about a gentle breeze? 
Well, I submit to you that that same gentle breeze that, that soothes the soul has the potential to stir up the energy and the wind that it can turn over ships and level entire towns. It's a mighty wind, a strong wind, which is brought into submission in the form of something that can actually bring comfort and bring soothing. It's power under control. It's, it's similar to where the, the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Now, Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 37, verse 11 here, which says, But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So again, Jesus isn't saying the meek will inherit the heaven. He's saying they will inherit the earth. And so you say, well, well what's this all about? Well, what does it mean? What do you will inherit the earth? He's talking about the here and now. If you understand what meekness is, it's, it's having a right view of yourself. And if a meek person is someone with the right view of themselves, himself, herself, and if it's power under control, then that will become evident in our dealing with people in the hearing now. Your meekness becomes evident in your dealing with people, or your lack of meekness becomes evident in your dealing with people. And when you know how to deal with people rightly and thus treat people rightly, you will be at peace with God and with man. It's kind of that love your neighbor as yourself idea. When you learn how to treat people the way God treats people, how to love people the way that God loves people, when you don't think of yourself as better than other people, and then you understand, you understand that I'm in as, just as much in need of grace and forgiveness and mercy and love as the next person. When you learn to live with humility and with self-control, you'll find favor with God, and you'll find favor, favor with your fellow men and women. So what does it look like? What does it look like to, to live this out practically on a, on a, on a day-to-day basis? You know, what does it look like to be meek like Jesus in our, in our dealings with people? Well, I want to answer this by applying this word to five unique circumstances, five unique encounters that you and I have almost every single day with people. At least during the week, you're going to have these five encounters with people. And I'm going to give you all five up front. They're, they're right there in your life notes, and then we're going to come back to each one uh, but here are the five dealings of people and how we can apply this first. The first is when people serve you. The second is when people disappoint you. The third is when people disagree with you. The fourth is when people criticize you. And the fifth is when people hurt you. How can I be like Jesus when I'm being served, when I'm disappointed, when there's disagreement, when I'm being criticized, and when I've been hurt? So number one, when people serve you, here's what it looks like to be meek like Jesus. Be honoring and don't humiliate. You know, we've been called to be like Jesus and serve others. But understand this, Jesus, though he did not come to be served, Jesus allowed himself to be served at times. He stated that he came to serve, not to be served, but he did allow himself to be served at times. There was a woman that came in and poured expensive perfume all over Jesus' feet. And some of the disciples and some of the religious leaders, they weren't sure how to, quite how to take that. And Jesus said, hey, let her serve me. She's honoring me by this. Before going into Jerusalem, Jesus sent his disciples in to get, pick up his ride, his donkey. He asked somebody to, to bring him his vehicle. He said, go get me that donkey, and I'm going to ride that into town there on that first Palm Sunday. 
Jesus sends some, some of the disciples ahead of him to, to get the room and prepare the room for the Last Supper. So there were moments when Jesus was served, but as he was being served, he knew how to treat people. When you go out to eat, um, how many of you like to go out to eat on, at, on Sunday after church? Okay, not very many. Wow. Okay. It's, co- it's COVID, right? That's okay. I'm talking about in general, Okay. You know, it's kind of, it's, growing up, it's kind of the thing to do for me. You know, we'd go to church and we'd go out to eat after, after church. Well, I would ask you, please be a generous tipper. Be a generous tipper at other times as well. But, you know, I know a restaurant's not the only place that we're served. But listen, it, it's rumored. You know, I just hear, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't done a poll or anything. But it's, it's rumored that maybe sometimes church-going people aren't the best tippers on Sunday afternoon. You know, I don't know if there's any people here that worked at service that would, would say amen to that or oh me, but you know, that's, what I, that's what I've heard. It's just been rumored, and I'd like to add that I don't want to feed that stereotype. You know, I've been out with Christians, and I know and they'll, they'll, they'll leave a, a, a real small tip, but they'll leave a track. You know, here's your tip, you know, trust Jesus. No, put the track down and put a $50 bill with it, Okay. <laughs> You know, you, you do even more damage when you, when you leave, you know, a $2 tip for a $25 to a $30 bill, and then, but I gave you a track. You know, you need that more than you need the money. The person doesn't necessarily understand. Get the hearing. Get them to hear you. You know, being meek like Jesus is, 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 is honoring those who are serving us. You know, it's serving, would you admit, serving people in a, in a restaurant or in other places, it's hard work. It's, it's difficult work, and, and I've said this before, and I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it, you know, when, when I was in the military, you know, even though I was a rather, I was a captain in the Navy, okay, you know, when the person came to take the trash out of my office, unless I was on the phone and couldn't get away, and even when I was on the phone, I'd put the phone away, and, and I would thank that person, because I'm thankful. I'm thankful I don't have trash, you know, piling up in my office, and I actually got in trouble once by a senior chaplain, because I took my own trash out. And he, he said, she said, that's what the junior Marines are for. I said, I'm not above taking my own trash out. I need it taken out. You know, be willing to be humble. Be willing to honor those who are serving you. Um, years ago, uh, when we lived in, I think, it was, um, I think it was Florida, you know, Lou and the kids, they would take drinks out to the guys that came by to pick the garbage up. You know, do we have to do that? No. But that's tough work and smelly work. And in Florida, you know, with the humidity and stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's hard work in that heat. So show appreciation for those who serve you. Being meek like Jesus is looking for ways to say thank you and show appreciation for those who do things for you. It's reminding yourself, who am I, that God would give me any good thing, that I could experience any good thing this side of heaven. The second one here, number two. When people disappoint you, be compassionate, don't condemn. A well-known instance of meekness in Jesus' life is, is when he's confronted by a group of religious leaders who brought a woman to him, and they're in a big circle, and, and, and she's been caught in the act of adultery, and, and they're ready to condemn her to death and stone her. And by the way, I, I, every, I, can't, I can never read that passage without getting hung up on the words when they say she was caught in the act of adultery. Well, that means... They had to see the man too, but where's the man? Why are they not holding him accountable? You know, that's just the unanswered question, you know, that whenever time I read this passage in John chapter 8. So they're ready to condemn her. They're ready to stone her. And Jesus, the righteous judge, has every right. He has every right to condemn her to death. But what does Jesus do? 
In John chapter 8, it tells us, it says, but Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And you know what? I would love to know what he was writing. You know, I've got some, some conjectures about what he was writing. But it, it says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. You know, I, maybe he was, you know, okay, you, this guy over here, here's your name, and then the, 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 here's your sins. You, I don't know. Or maybe, you know, the, he was writing the names of the guys who had been with the woman too. I don't know. It says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And none of them, none of them cast, can cast a stone because they've all sinned. And he looks into this woman's eyes, and instead of condemning her, he shows compassion towards her. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And he says, how about this? I don't condemn you either, but go and leave your life of sin. Don't sin anymore. Walk in freedom. Be free. And so he extends grace and mercy and love and compassion when he could have been just as damning and full of condemnation as the rest. Here's a question for you. When somebody sins, someone famous sins, when someone falls short, especially when it's someone in, someone in the public eye, do you find yourself just a little bit satisfied when they don't live up to your standards or God's standards and they fall? Do you find yourself saying, yeah, I knew that would happen. I knew that, that person, you know, and you think, well, I'm, I'm better than that. I would never do that. Or are you honest? Do you say, you know what? You didn't live up to my standards, and if I'm honest, I don't even live up to my standards, much less God's standards on a daily basis. So I'm going to show you some compassion. We talked last week about our hearts breaking for the things that break God's heart. And when a leader falls, that should break our heart. It should break our heart. Galatians chapter 6 says, If a person is trapped in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him or her gently. But watch yourself. It says, but watch yourself. You may also be tempted. It enjoins us to carry one another's burdens because we're all just as prone to sin as the next man or woman. And if you were in that circle there with Jesus and, and those guys in that day with so many stones in hand ready to condemn you, how would you like to be treated? Would you rather be condemned, cut short, put down, ridiculed, never given another chance? I don't think so. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. God accepted you in spite of you. He accepts me in spite of me, and he uses us in spite of ourselves. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Why not show the same mercy to others that you've been shown by God? Thirdly, when people disagree with you, you cancel them. You label them as an enemy, especially when it comes to politics. If you, if you even sense that somebody disagrees with your political views, you cut them off, you cancel them, you put something on Facebook. You don't mention them by name, but you make sure they know who you're talking about. No. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that on November 3rd, one half of this nation roughly is going to be seen as deplorable, and another half is going to be seen as godless. It's interesting. It's no longer Republican and Democrat. It's, it's, it's deplorables and godless. 
Can I encourage you, don't get so caught up with your own point of view that you disregard and even begin to despair someone else's because none of us, none of us get it right all the time. I think one of the most dangerous pitfalls in the world today is this, this thing called groupthink, where people literally have stopped thinking for themselves. They'll see something real quickly. Oh, I saw it on the internet. I saw it on Facebook. You know, I heard it on the news. You know, and I don't care what news you listen to. You know, there, there, there's, there's enough stuff on, on whatever news you listen to that's not correct and not right and not real. People just fall in line one after another. And if you, if you don't fall in line, you may be ridiculed. You may be boycotted. Your business may be boycotted. You may be fired from your job. Instead, be like Jesus. Be kind, but don't compromise. Be kind, but don't compromise. Blessed are the meek. You want to be like Jesus uh, when it comes to those who disagree with you? Be kind to them without compromising your values. You can be kind without compromising. You need to know that, that a biblical view in today's world will cost you. Jesus warned us about that. He said, if you're going to be my follower, you need to count the cost. It's going to cost you. It's not going to be, you know, pie in the sky, by and by, easy cheesy, you know, uh, redemption. It's going to cost you. You're not just knowing what the Bible says, but, but doing what the Bible says. Living your life based upon the Bible is going to cost you. You know what else will cost you? Falling in line with groupthink that says that if you don't believe like me, if you don't vote for like me, if you don't agree with me on whatever it is, whatever you want to put in the blank, that we can't be friends. That's ridiculous. But that's the way our culture's gone, is that if we, we, we can't disagree civilly anymore. Civility is, is a word that's, that's disappeared from our culture. If based on your deeply held biblical conviction you can't affirm every decision I make, that doesn't mean that you don't affirm me. It just means that you don't affirm some of the decisions I may be making. What's easy is loving people who agree with you. What's easy is loving people who look like you, who have the same religion as you do, who vote like you do, or who think like you always think. What's not easy is loving people who don't have the same convictions that you have, who may disagree with you. Not that, but this, Jesus would say. Be like Jesus who remember on the cross when he cried out for those who were putting him to death. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's hard. That's not easy. Jesus didn't sit up there and say, you folks don't know what you're doing to me. You don't know. No. He was under control. He wasn't con condemning. He was asking forgiveness for them. Loving people who attack you and criticize you and ridicule you and cancel you, loving them is the Jesus thing to do. It's easy to love someone who loves you back. You know, my dog can do that, okay? You're, I love my dog, okay? He's a great dog. Real love is to love someone who actually despises you. It's like my previous dog who had the personality of a cat. Sorry, cat lovers. But Buckeye wasn't the most friendly, lovable dog, loving dog there was. See, the world has taken this idea of love and, and they've distorted it. The world says that we have to agree to be kind. Well, that's not kind. That's conformity. And my Bible tells me, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind through Scripture. 
You look a whole lot more like Jesus when you extend grace and mercy and forgiveness and a hand of help and a hand of hope and a hand of peace to somebody that doesn't offer any of that back to you. That's what it means to be like Jesus. People think it ought to be easy to follow. They forget that Jesus was literally nailed to the cross by those that he came to serve. We've not called to, to, to easiness. We, we've been called to lose our life for the cause of Christ and for the sake of others. Jesus said, you're hated. They hated me first. He says, you're hated not because of you, but because of me. So just get over it and keep on loving people the way that I love people. In 2 Timothy 2, we're told, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in hope that God would give that person a change of heart. And we need to keep in mind who it is, who it is that changes hearts. It's not the pastor, it's not the chaplain, it's Christ. It's not the church, it's Jesus. It's not people, it's God. Stop trying to do what only God can do. I can't change a heart, only he can. But I do know that he can use me as I'm kind, as I'm loving to people in order to do that. And I know that when I'm not like Jesus, when I'm not kind and compassionate and loving towards him, that it's a barrier to the Holy Spirit working in someone's life. So we need to stop pointing at people and start pointing people to Christ, the only one who can transform them, the same way that he's transforming and changing each of one of us every day. There's not a single one of us here who's arrived. That may be a revelation, but none of us have, a, have arrived yet. Be kind and don't compromise. Accept those whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. And may I say that sometimes I think the hardest people to love are church people who spend all day arguing about non-essentials. And it's nothing new. You know, read the New Testament. It goes back to Jesus' day. How about we just point people to Jesus? We preach Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We introduce people to Jesus, and we be like Jesus. General George Patton once said, Never fight a battle when there's nothing to be gained by winning. And some of the arguments and things I hear, whether it be over stuff in church or in politics or stuff like that. It's just people just arguing for the sake of argument. And that's not healthy, people. It's not healthy for, it's not healthy for unbelievers. It's not healthy for believers. It's just not, it's plain not, not healthy for us. I know this isn't a Bible verse, but imagine if, if, you, if you applied the general's words to your marriage, to your family, to relationships with your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, the people you disagree with, notice how things, imagine how things would be different. Number four, when people criticize you. Be teachable, don't be untouchable. Pastor Rick Warren once spoke with a group of pastors about how to, how to handle critics. And he said, when you have a critic, it's always wise to listen to them. You don't have to talk to them but when people are hurling stones at you, when people criticize you, it's always good just to pay attention a little bit to what they're saying. He said, because when you do, you become twice as smart as them. You know what you know, and when you listen to that criticism, you know what they know or what they think they know. They'll, they'll only ever know what they know, so if you want to have a foot up on your critic, just pay attention to what's being said. 
And I don't know about you, but I find this extremely difficult to do. I know it's hard to believe, but people do criticize me, okay? <laughs> when people criticize me, you know, what do I want to do? What's the natural reaction? To, to lash out, to, go, to lash back at them. But sometimes, I've learned that sometimes you can learn from that critic. Sometimes God has used that criticism to teach me things about me. In James 1.19, it says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Be teachable. You'll learn from even your harshest critic. You'll be able to pick off the meat and spit out the bones. But when you're untouchable, you'll learn from nobody. You'll think, you'll, you'll think you'll, you're better, you'll think, and you'll never get better because you already think that you're better than you're supposed to be. You know, you'll learn from your critics if you, if you allow them to speak to you and you'll listen to what they say. The moment that you stop listening, the moment you think you've arrived and that you can't learn from somebody else, you're going to stop being used by God in a powerful way, and I hate to break it to you. There's always something there's always something to be learned. There's always something to be gained, even from those who criticize you. It's impossible to do anything significant for the kingdom of God without opposition. Look at Jesus. They criticized him. We will be criticized. And a matter of fact, if you're not being criticized, you're probably not making that much of a difference. So when you're criticized, don't be offended. Consider it affirmation of your purpose. Finally, when people hurt you, be an actor, not a reactor. When you're hurt by somebody, be an actor. Don't be a reactor. And the difference between an actor and a reactor is an actor rules his or her own spirit. A reactor gives up control of their emotions or their words or, or their feelings to somebody else. When you react, especially when someone hurts you, you hand control over to that person who's hurt you, and you let them hurt you over and over and over again. It often sounds like this. But he makes me so angry. She makes me so mad. You don't understand. Don't give them the power. Don't give them authority over your spirit, over your tongue, over your emotions. Don't give them the power over your relationship with God with others, with the church. They obviously don't care enough about you to treat you rightly or treat you with respect. Don't give them authority over your heart. Be an actor. Decide up front. I'm going to treat people like Jesus would treat people. I'm going to love those who persecute me. I'm going to pray for those who hurt me. I will not repay evil with evil, but I will return what has been given as a curse with blessing. I'm going to show grace even if they don't deserve it. Because guess what? I have a right view of myself. And I was given grace when I didn't deserve it. I'm going to love you even though you haven't earned it. Because I'm loved by God even though I haven't earned it. Proverbs 16 says this. Better a patient man than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Do you know when Moses was called meek? It's in Numbers 12. You can read the whole thing for yourself this afternoon. It's a, it's a short chapter. And I think Numbers 12 is the first instance of racial prejudice in the Bible. Moses, a Jew, 
apparently married a black African woman and was approved by God. And we learn in, in, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, that Miriam and Aaron, that's Moses' sister and brother, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. A Cushite is from Cush, a region which is south of Ethiopia. And if you know your, your East African um, geography there, those people have dark skin there. And we know this because in Jeremiah 13, verse 23, it says, Can the Ethiopian, it's the same word in Hebrew that's used for Cushite here in Numbers 12, can an Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? So Mar Moses marries a, a black woman from Africa, and his sister and his brother are upset that he's married this woman, and they start to criticize him. They start talking about him and, and insulting him. And when Moses is called meek in Scripture, he's, he's called meek because he chooses not to respond in anger. He chooses not to respond by defending himself. Even though he's done nothing wrong, even though he's right, even though, even though there's nothing wrong with him, he, he, he doesn't defend himself. And you know what we find out? God does defend him, and God will defend you. If you read the story, God defends Moses, and, and God basically says to Miriam, hey, you got a skin issue with this woman? Well, I'm going to give you your own little skin issue. So you don't have to worry about her skin issue anymore. And so God strikes Miriam with leprosy. Bam, there it is. You know? And now she's got leprosy. Her skin's peeling off. And so she's unclean. She, she can't be around the assembly of all the Jews. And, and this isn't happening. This isn't just a little family squabble. This is, this is you know, Moses, the leader. This is his sister, uh, Miriam. She's a leader. Aaron's a leader. All this is happening in the public eye. And all of a sudden, Miriam is an outcast. And Moses, instead of feeling good about that, Moses, the one that she was criticizing, Moses actually approaches the Lord and cries out for mercy, not judgment on his sister. And God says, okay, send her outside the camp for a week, and then she can come back, and she'll be healed. Remember last week I said, hurt people, hurt people? The person that wounds you the deepest has probably been wounded deeply in their life. And when we see that, when we acknowledge that, we'll understand how God sees you and me. So be honoring. Don't humiliate be compassionate, don't condemn. Be kind, but don't compromise. Be teachable, don't be untouchable. Be an actor, not a reactor. That's what being meek is all about. And the meek will inherit the earth. They will have peace with God and with man. The question I leave with you to ponder this week, are you willing to be meek. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry at Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.